It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. So what's going on? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. Thank you for subscribing and for becoming patrons of the program, folks. Uh, for example, like Grant and Lou and Ashley, Sarah and Barry, Patrick, Shan, Joseph, Dan, Brian, John. Thank you very much, everybody, for becoming patrons. You can go to thepetecalendarshow.com, and uh, that's where you'll find the big subscribe button. You click on that. It'll bring up all the different platforms that you can subscribe on. Um, And by the way, if you hover over the icons, it'll show you uh, what platforms. But uh, generally, I mean, whatever platform you want to find me on, I'm on it. Okay, so if you're a Stitcher person or an iTunes person or a Google Play person, whatever your preference is, I am there. Um, Also, if uh, you are thinking about trying some CBD products, I'm already there too. Growers Hemp, I've been using this stuff for now, uh, well, probably about eight months, nine months. I'm losing track. Um, And I take a couple drops before I go to bed. And I sleep more deeply than I ever have before. And I would not have really believed you if you had told me that this this works for uh, for sleep like that. Uh, and by the way, I've gotten emails <clears throat> from people, listeners of the show, who have tried the products and who then respond to me and say, hey, Pete, I started using this. And like, for example, I've got one uh, from, let's see, where was it? Carol Sue, who said she felt well-rested and did not toss and turn as much as she normally does, uh, when she started taking it, she says, I'm a morning person, and this did not interfere with my normal morning routine. So she didn't feel like, you know, drowsy or anything like if you take a sleep aid, you know, you don't wake up feeling like you just got run over by a truck, okay? Uh, Go to growershemp.com, use the promo code PETE, and you'll get 20% off. And they have topicals as well, the bomb, for example, it's pretty great. It's the bomb. And you put it on, you know, for you know joint pain in your hands or wrists or, well, really, I guess, anywhere where you've got joint pain. And um, Christy actually tried some the other night. She put some on her lip. She had cracked lips and she put uh, some on her lip and she woke up the next morning and it was gone. So uh, add the natural alternative growers hemp full spectrum hemp extract to your daily routine. And as with all CBD products, here's the official disclaimer that GovCo requires me to tell you. Quote, these statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The efficacy of these products has not been confirmed by FDA approved research and these products are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure or prevent any disease. Nothing I've said is meant as a substitute for or alternative to information from your health care provider. Please consult your health care professional about potential interactions or other possible complications before using any product. Growershemp.com. These are North Carolina farmers, uh, family farmers that got together and said, let's go into business making the CBD products and they control it all from seed all the way to shelf you get better quality lower pricing and you are helping family farms in north carolina growershemp.com from north carolina farmers to your home growers hemp is about the hemp and not the hype so the north carolina senate failed to override the governor's veto and yesterday's program by the way i'm sorry the veto on the school reopening bill senate bill 37 and uh they came one vote short the senate could not override it and uh you know the democrats began rejoicing now there were three democrats who had supported this bill and had they all done so on the override vote then uh it would have been overridden and it would have gone to the 
state house. Uh, but as I went over yesterday, two of the three Democrats did not vote to override that veto. Right. One did. And again, we should give him credit. Senator Kirk DeVere, uh, he maintained his support for the legislation. He voted for it on initial passage. And then when it came for the override vote, he voted to override his own governor's, uh, his own party's governor uh, who had vetoed it. Right. So credit to him because you know he had to have been under pressure and you know he's probably going to get attacked uh, and has been. I know he has been. He's been attacked by the NCAE. He's been attacked by left-wing activists, Democrats, you know, people in his own party. Uh, they're, they're going after him for it. Now, what about Ben Clark and Paul Lowe? Well, you'll recall Paul Lowe said that, well, the Democrat asked, asked or the governor asked me uh, to change my vote. And so I did. He's a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. That, that's what he said, the state senator. But what about Ben Clark? I'm going to get back to Ben Clark because he was absent. He was just AWOL <laughs> for this vote. Um, and so the AP got a hold of him, and I'm going to tell you what he told the AP. Uh, first, yesterday I talked with Rick Henderson from, uh, formerly of Reason.com and the Carolina Journal. He was the editor for a long time there. And um, now he's out on his own. He's a writer, he's an author, and he's out on his own doing the Substack thing, and his Substack is called deregulator.substack.com. Uh, and uh, he had another post up. This was up for public uh, consumption. He does have some behind the paywall, so if you want to support him, I recommend uh, he's worth the uh, he, he's worth the six bucks a month. Um, he says, "I wrote yesterday about uh, how Monday was the biggest day of, politi- of Roy Cooper's political career. Democrats bailed him out, leaving students on the boat." The North Carolina Association of Educators held a news conference Monday afternoon saying guidelines from the state's health department were too lax to let elementary teachers return to school full time. Democrats listened. They obeyed. They sustained the veto, leaving in place a regime that lets K-12 public school districts impose only virtual learning, even if individual school leaders and parents would rather shift to a hybrid or full-time classroom model. This is one of the reasons why this whole argument, I'm going to get a little bit more in-depth on this argument that the Democrats have been making about local control. It's um, it's a specious argument. It's not made in good faith. They don't believe in local control. Uh, they, they only use it as a weapon against conservatives who have for years espoused local control. So uh, I'm going to get back to this because but, but here's the thing to keep in mind. If you have if you have a school, not a district, but a school that says we want to open in person, let's say the principal talks to all the teachers, the teachers are all like, yeah, I've already got the vaccine, uh, the vaccine or I've already got covid or I'm young and I'm healthy. I'm fine. I don't think it's a risk or whatever the reasons are. Let's just say they have the staff uh, all on board. Would a local school, an individual school, be able to make that decision on their own? And the answer is no, they would not. Right? They would not. It's at the district level. So keep that in mind when you hear the people who are saying, well, what about local control? Like they're not actually for the schoolhouse local control level. They're only interested in the district level because that's where they can exert power. See, they, the, the NCAE has power over these local school boards in the Democrat uh, counties. Think Mecklenburg, Wake, Buncombe, for example. Um, Durham is basically ground zero for them. That's their headquarters. Uh, although I would point out uh, that Durham Board of Education 
they have finally now said, oh, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't do all remote for the rest of the year. (laughs) I think they see the way this is heading uh, with the numbers dropping, case counts are declining, hospitalizations are declining, deaths are declining. It's almost as if this isn't a viral season, like we're past the viral season, which, by the way, that does spell some concern for what happens in the fall when, just like the flu, we're going to start seeing an uptick in these conditions, right? We're going to see the viral spread go up again. And if that happens, even with the vaccines, if that starts happening, are we going to start seeing more lockdowns again, more mask mandates? Because Texas and what, Mississippi, they've all uh, lifted their mask mandate now. Texas just said, you know what, we're, we're open now. We're just, it's all, it's all getting lifted be responsible. You know what the uh, you know the safety protocols are. Be smart. That's what freedom looks like. Now you can argue that that's reckless and putting people's lives in jeopardy because people are idiots. But if you would like to make the argument that people are idiots, you go right ahead and do it. To them, <laughs> as an elected leader, you can be the one to make the argument that people are stupid, and then ask them for their votes. So, Senator Ben Clark. Sponsor of this bill, one of the Democrats uh, who was supportive of the bill was also a sponsor, a co-sponsor of the bill. Um, And he was not at the vote on Monday evening. Now, State Senate leader, the president pro tem, Phil Berger, uh, he took to the floor and he made some comments, apparently knowing what was going to happen because Clark was absent and because the other fellow, the other Democrat, uh, Paul Lowe, Democrat from Forsyth, um, he had uh, already earlier in the day uh, put out a press release, a statement saying that he was going to flip his vote. So Berger could already tell that the vote was going to be lost. And here is what he said from the floor that night. You know, um, we, we often run across folks who say, I'm with you, I'm with you, I'm with you. I want to do the same thing, but... And so the question is, uh, are, are the things that are thrown up there actually valid reasons? Um, you know, this bill passed uh, this body um, with um, 30 votes, with a number of folks out uh, when it came through before as a conference report. Um, all of the issues that are being referred to as Concerns about this bill were laid out there at that time, yet folks were willing to vote for the bill. And I would hope that uh, once someone votes a a particular way uh, and their constituents know how they voted, uh, that they would stick with that. Uh, That's a direct message to Paul Lowe, right? That's a direct message to the Democrat who's flipping his vote. And not uh, allow politics rather than science to control what they're doing. Because, you know, the science is pretty clear here. This bill, first of all, this bill doesn't require any school system to open under Plan A. It gives the school systems the choice of Plan A or Plan B. What it does is tell the school systems, you've got to allow parents a choice of sending their kids back. And the school systems can decide whether or not they can handle safely a reopening under Plan A or Plan B. That's all this bill does. 
we know, we know that the current situation is damaging children. Okay, so here's the thing. The people who are claiming that they're all about local control were silent when Governor Cooper refused to let school districts open under Plan A back in September. Remember that? I'm old enough to remember that. People were very, very concerned. This is why I believe we've kind of, we've crossed over into a hysterical anxiety kind of mental health territory, in my view. There are a lot of people making a lot of arguments that do not seem to be, at least in my opinion, connected to reality in a lot of cases. They're making arguments that are illogical. And while uh, I know that that's sort of par for the course in politics, <laughs> I am kind of uh, I am kind of concerned that when it comes to this topic, there are a lot of people that are too afraid to actually think clearly. And because, look, and I'm not saying this as like an insult to people. Fear does this to people. This is why whenever you're looking at like, you know, uh, police shootings and such and such, um, people's brains behave differently in high stress or fear inducing um, uh, environments. This is why people go through so much training all the time, whether it's with firearms or, you know, hand to hand combat or police officers, whatever you go through all the training. Because your mind starts shutting down different functions of the brain in order to focus on survival. It, it, this literally happens. Your brain just stops thinking about certain things. And that's why you have to have sort of the muscle memory. And if you have a lot of fear surrounding this particular issue, you become hysterical, unable to be reasoned with. And... I think there are some people involved in this debate at the state level, maybe even the national level. I'm not paying that much attention to all of the players at the national level. But at the state level, I think there are a lot of people that are in the grips of this anxiety and they're not making rational arguments any longer. They're sitting here screaming right now about local control and how school districts need to have the local control. Well, school districts don't have local control because the governor took it from them. In the executive order. That's why he has the executive order in the first place. He said they can't handle it. So I'm going to do it. It's literally in the executive order. But they're arguing right now that school districts should be the ones to decide how to reopen safely. But if you don't tell the districts explicitly how to open safely, then they're not going to do it. This is an inherently contradictory argument. That nobody seems to realize. I don't know. Like, am I am I the only one that sees the hypocrisy? It's not even hypocrisy. It's it's uh, it's just self canceling. It's contrarian. It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. How can you argue that school districts are smart enough to be in control of their reopening, but not smart enough to be in control of their reopening? How do you argue that at the same time? You either don't realize that you've got some cognitive dissonance going on there, or you're flat out dishonest. And I, and and I'm not going to, you know, ascribe motive to people, but those are the only things that I can see at this point. Now, um, I can see people looking for first aid kits. I can see people in the market for uh, prep kits and such in the current environment. In these uncertain times, you want to go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus, uh, pick up a first aid kit. I've got one. Uh, this is great, by the way. Just even if you're just an outdoor, you know, explorer, adventurer type, you want to go hiking, camping, fishing, hunting, you should have a first aid kit. You should have one in the car. 
Have one in the backpack. You should carry it with you. Uh, he's also got tons of other stuff like ammo cans. Um, he's got gun accessories. So if you became one of the recent new gun owners uh, in America, you got to you got to kit the thing out, right? You got to get the accessories. <laughs> That's part of the deal. Uh, it's in the it's I think it's in the fine print when you purchase the the firearm. Go to Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde on Main Street for three decades. The shop is open Monday through Saturday. It's across the street from the anti-aircraft gun and always at oldgrouch.com. So Cooper, Governor Cooper, could have prevented the showdown, writes Rick Henderson, by using his executive authority to eliminate the remote-only option, the online learning option, the, the all-remote. He could have just said, by executive order, there's no more Plan C. School districts have to do Plan A or Plan B. Those are your options. He could have done that, but he didn't. Why didn't he do that? Why not? He said, he said you couldn't open on Plan A in high school, right? He said Plan A for K through 5 back in September, but no Plan A for uh, middle school and high school, right? So he's willing to exert that kind of authority, but he wasn't willing to exert it to remove remote only. Why? Well, there's a constituency that really, really wants remote only. They've been, uh, they've been fighting on this hill for months now, and that's the teachers union. Don't call it a union, the Association of Educators, the NCAE, which I read the other day in the News and Observer article, they referred to them as an education advocacy organization, They are literally on their website. You go to the website, they're literally describing themselves as an affiliate of the NEA, the National Teachers Union. So yes, it's a union. They, uh, their leadership talks uh, as if they are a union. They call themselves a union in their discussions, right? So it's like they're, they're, the only thing they don't have is collective bargaining rights. That's it. But they operate as a union. Schools have a powerful lobby that provides campaign cash and volunteer muscle for North Carolina Democrats. The state's top Democrat carries its water, says Rick Henderson. After Monday's vote, reporters asked Senator Lowe why he changed his vote. And he said Cooper called him on Sunday night. He asked, he says, I'm a Democrat. He's the governor and a Democratic governor. Besides... The schools in Forsyth County, where he's that he represents, uh, he says they're open. So who cares really with those other the other districts, right? Let him eat cake. Isn't that amazing? Again, I want to give Senator Lowe a bit of credit here for being as cynically honest as as he was, right? Or I should say, honest uh, in his cynicism, because he was. And it's rare that you hear a politician just just strip everything away and just be like, yeah, he's a Democrat. I'm a Democrat. He asked me to flip my vote. So I did. And besides, it didn't really even affect my constituents. Screw everybody else. <laughs> right? Like, it just confirms what everybody already believes. I mean, I don't think it's very good for a healthy functioning democracy, but, you know, uh, democracy is only in trouble when Republicans undermine it, I guess. Um, this is This brings us to Senator Clark, Ben Clark. The AP asked him, hey, What's up with Monday's vote? Why weren't you there? Because he had requested and received a leave of absence for Monday's session. He wrote in an email to the Associated Press the next day on Tuesday that he was unavailable for the Monday night session because, quote, I was engaged in work on behalf of my employer. 
He works for a defense contractor at Fort Bragg. Now, I don't know what all work he does. I don't. I, I don't know. Is this like an after hours kind of a thing? Did he have a big project that was coming due that he had to stay late for? But when you're in session, you know that Monday nights, everybody goes back, they open it up, and then, you know, Tuesday morning starts everything. And, and uh, Senator Berger told everybody, look, we're going to take this veto override up on Monday night. So everybody knew this was coming. Um, and so I'm wondering, first off, were you actually working? Because if you listen to what he says here, I was engaged in work on behalf of my employer. That He doesn't say I had to be at work. So was he home? But seriously, like, is anybody going to press him on this? Does it even matter? Nobody cares. No one's going to care. No one's going to ask him about this. And you'll, it's going to be kind of moot here, and I'll tell you why in a moment. But um, he works for a defense contractor at Fort Bragg. Now, color me skeptical, but I don't believe that a defense contractor at Fort Bragg is working at 7 o'clock at night on a Monday night. I don't. I just don't believe it. I think, especially once you've run for state senate, right? They know you're a state senator. You don't run for that job without your employer understanding the benefits of you going to Raleigh to do the legislative work that you signed up to do. You ask, you usually go to your employer and say, hey, is it going to be okay if I run for this office? It might mean I'm going to have to go to Raleigh, you know, for the sessions. I'm going to be there like all week long, starting on Monday nights and all that. But whatever. Let's say he did work Monday. Let's say he wanted to get to Raleigh. How long would it take him to get from Fort Bragg to Raleigh? Well, I Google mapped it for him. No longer than an hour and 27 minutes. Anywhere from an hour and nine minutes to an hour and a half. So let's be charitable and give him 90 minutes, depending on traffic. Maybe two hours. The vote was at seven o'clock. And I'm sure that the Senate would have pushed it back to eight (laughs) if he couldn't be there until eight, right? If he could have been there, the Senate would have accommodated his schedule. They would have. So he is then asked, um, well, how would you have voted? Listen to this. This is from the AP. Barring other voting changes, the override would have been successful in the Senate had Clark been present and voted yes. Clark declined to say how he would have voted. Why would you decline to say how you would have voted? Right? Why would you? Why I prefer not to say. You were a co-sponsor of the bill. Why would you prefer not to say how you'd vote on the bill you sp- you sponsored? He says, um, saying how he would have voted at this point, quote, would be considered disingenuous by most. So what? Any answer you give is going to be the wrong answer. I mean, I can understand you may feel like that, but. You should tell people how you were going to vote, particularly when you're the one vote that cost the override, right? He said, quote, I had my preference. And he pointed out that he was the sponsor of the bill, co-sponsor of the bill. And he said that he ha- uh, I have a desire to get students back into the classroom quickly and safely. And then listen to this, quote, yet I must acknowledge that acting upon my voting preference was and always is subject to several factors on the ground at the time of the vote. What's he saying there? He says, I have my preference. And my and by the way, I am a co-sponsor of the bill. So he's telling us that his preference is the bill. His preference is that the bill pass. But he says, acting upon my voting preference was and always is 
subject to several factors on the ground at the time of the vote. You mean like if Governor Cooper gives you a, a call and says, hey, you need to uh, you need to sustain my veto? <laughs> so what happens now? Well, there have been some ideas kicked around. I'm going to uh, touch on a couple of them. But uh, this is the first idea, and it came from Senate leader Phil Berger, who said this is going to actually happen today. As I'm recording this podcast later today, this is now going to happen. Uh, the North Carolina Senate's going to vote on a motion to reconsider. <laughs> a motion to reconsider means, do we do we really think that that vote was the way it should have been? Let, let, let's actually reconsider that vote. Let, let's take that back up. Let's vote to take it back up again. A motion to reconsider on Senate Bill 37. If successful, it will place the veto override back on the Senate calendar for consideration at another date. The motion requires a simple majority to pass, which, by the way, the Republicans have. So they're going to be able to get the motion to reconsider. They're going to be able to pass that. And then they're going to schedule another vote on the veto override. And you know what, Senator Clark? You tell us when you'll be here. We'll accommodate your schedule. We don't want to conflict with your work for your employer, right? So you tell us when you're going to be in Raleigh doing the job that you asked voters to send you here to do, and then we'll hold the vote. How about that? (laughs) That's what they're doing. Now, what you should be doing is going to Mattress Man. You should. For the tax refund sale, you can buy your bed now and sleep on the mattress right away. Well, I mean, you got to get it home first. They don't want you sleeping on it in their store. Although people have fallen asleep on the mattresses in the store, right? That does happen. Um, but here's the deal. You buy the mattress. You don't have to put any money down on it uh, You can as low as $39, depending on your credit. But you could walk out of there, actually, without any money down, with no interest, same as cash, 0% APR, uh, up to 24 months uh, if you qualify. And you pay it off when you get your tax refund. What a great idea, right? I mean, it is March. If you know that you're getting a tax refund and it's coming in the mail, or uh, how about this, your Biden bucks, your Pelosi dollars, are you going to be getting a big uh, GovCo check, right, for the for the COVID relief? How about that? Put that and your refund together. Like you can buy like, I don't know, a dozen beds or something. Probably not. But I mean, who has use for a dozen beds? Although they do have the Biltmore collection, which... Billmore's got a lot of bedrooms, so they, they could probably use a lot of beds. The, the Billmore collection is actually made by Restonic in Fayetteville, and uh, these are the beds that are at the hotel and the inn that are on the grounds of the Biltmore estate, and um, obviously luxurious. So they are sold exclusively at Mattress Man. Head on over to mattressmanstores.com or to any of their four locations in Asheville, Arden, or Hendersonville. They do ship nationwide. They have local five-star delivery service and a 120-day comfort guarantee. Mattressmanstores.com. Experience the difference at Mattress Man. Buy local and sleep better. So some counties have actually started vaccinating teachers already. And... Uh, in some places, like uh, I think it's Jackson County, I saw uh, the other day or yeah, or this morning that uh, they're on pace to have all of their teachers vaccinated. And they've actually been opened for a while. They've had a lot of, uh, of in-person instruction going on. So uh, and they've been vaccinating teachers since January. OK, I, I don't know how they got around doing that. I, I don't know. Maybe these are teachers that fall into the the group one or group two or whatever. But yesterday at the COVID briefing, 
and I'm not going to play you any audio from yesterday's COVID briefing because there isn't any real audio that's worth listening to. Every single question that came from all of the reporters was about what the governor came out to talk about, which was that he's going to move up the um, the group three. He's now opening all of the group three folks up for their vaccines um, because we got the new Johnson and Johnson vaccine coming in. This is a one dose vaccine that's now being made available. And so uh, all of the group three people that are not teachers, that teachers skipped ahead of, uh, they're all now going to have uh, access to get the vaccines, too. Now, uh, this school issue, and why is that important, by the way? It's important because the longer they slow roll this, the longer they can push this out, then Cooper can claim credit for all of the schools opening. That's the, And the more, the more this progresses, the more this is obvious and should be obvious to anybody that covers politics uh, for uh, state in our state government. I don't know why they don't see this, but this is the obvious thing. It's about who's going to get credit for opening up the schools again. And Cooper's trying to claim credit, and he's trying to stiff arm the General Assembly from claiming any credit, and the General Assembly's trying to claim credit for it. And meanwhile, you got the school uh, or the teachers union that's in there trying to stiff arm Cooper and the General Assembly from opening schools back up again, Um, because they want credit for protecting their employees. And uh, I think some of them really would like to work from home for a long time. I do. Now... um, The Council of State met this week as well, and the topic of this came up, as I mentioned yesterday, the uh, we're getting some of the the testing results back now and uh, from the Department of Public Instruction and the performance has just cratered. Uh, I mentioned this yesterday. It's like 75 percent of the kids in third grade are not at grade level, which is catastrophic. I, I, I don't know how else to describe it. This is long-term life-altering damage that has been done to these kids it's still going on it, it's it hasn't stopped and this is why i i'm kind of looking around like how are people not acting with more urgency about this problem you've got kids that are now going to functionally be like two years behind where they should have been developmentally so um you've got uh These test scores coming out, like all of the failures at like the high school end of uh, it's like half of the students failed their end of course tests in high school. I mean, it's just it's just terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, And so against that backdrop, and by the way, the uh, the superintendent for public instruction in the state, Catherine Truitt, Republican, she went over some of these numbers at the Council of State meeting this week. Now, the Council of State, this is these are the 10 offices that are elected statewide in North Carolina. You got governor, lieutenant governor. Uh, attorney general, superintendent, uh, labor commissioner, agriculture commissioner, insurance commissioner, right? All of these state uh, state auditor, treasurer, uh, all of these different offices. I probably named almost all of them by now. Anyway, uh, they, they gather around and uh, these are all remote as well because Governor Cooper, you know, doesn't want to meet and they don't want to meet in person. Uh, they still haven't figured out how to think about that. They, they haven't figured out how to do a council of state meeting <laughs> in person and we're relying on these people to tell us how to open back up businesses and schools and do it safely. And they can't figure out how to hold a meeting with 10 people <laughs> in person. The only reason that we have any audio of this is because the state treasurer, Dale Falwell, broadcasts it from his Facebook page. <laughs> he he's and, and he meets in person along with a couple of the other Republicans, maybe all of them. Well, not all of them. I don't think Troxler was there uh, at any rate. Get a load of this. This is Mark Robinson, the lieutenant governor, uh, in, during um, 
the Council of State meeting when they at the very end where they all kind of have, uh, you know, here's an update from my office. And they all talk about stuff that they're working on and that they're doing. Here's Mark Robinson's report. Good morning, Governor. Uh, Council of State members. Uh, our office right now is focused on two things. Uh, the number one, number one, uh, we are focused on trying to bring some equity into the classroom to ensure that our students are not being politically pressured in the classroom that they are receiving a quality education that does not include political indoctrination. Uh, it is happening all across our state. It is egregious. We've heard uh, several egregious uh, accounts of it, and quite frankly, it needs to come to a halt. Our classrooms are not the place for politics. Our classrooms are the place for education, and that does not include indoctrinating our students in any political dogma. And so our office is heavily focused on trying to bring this bring this to, to the forefront and trying to bring it into it because uh, I think it's one of the uh, number one things in our nation right now that is, is going wrong. We have lost focus in education and where it's supposed to be going. We're not supposed to be teaching our children what we think. We're supposed to be teaching our children facts. And in many uh, corners, that is not happening. And uh, we're going to be fighting hard to make sure that that ends. <clears throat> All right. So that's obviously the reference to the fight that was uh, has unfolded over the last two months about critical race theory and the anti-racism stuff, uh, the social studies and history standards that the Board of Education adopted last month. Right. So that's the first part of his comments. The second thing we're focusing on right now is trying to get our children back in the classroom. We have learned enough during this pandemic and lost enough during this pandemic that we can clearly see that now is the time to get our kids back in the classroom. It's time for us as adults to stop playing politics with the lives of our children. We can clearly see that they are hurting. It's time for us to stop this. It's time for us to stop worrying about our political future and realize that we're not here for ourselves, for our political futures. We're here for the future of our children and our parents and the people that we're supposed to represent. And if we are not doing that, we are not representing them We are not serving them. We are serving ourselves. And those individuals that give platitudes about putting kids back in the classrooms and then vote contrary to to that need to be ashamed of themselves because they can clearly see the dreadful effects that these children, that this is having on our children. Our office is going to do everything that we can to ensure that our kids get back into the classroom and that their parents can go and see them when they perform extracurricular activities. The amount of times that we've heard from parents, an 85-year-old veteran, World War II veteran, being shooed away from a soccer match when he's watching his grandson play soccer from the parking lot. These examples are egregious. We have got to stop this. We've got to start being the adults in this situation, get these children back in school, and stop playing politics. Because like I said, we've got to put our children's future above our political futures. And we've got to put our money where our mouth is. And doing that, means putting our children back in school, and it's high time that we do that. So all of us is heavily focused on that, and I encourage all the Council of State members to join me in making sure that that happens as well. Thank you. Okay, so you get the uh, sense here of what he used his t- his time at the end of this meeting to do when he's, he's giving an update. This is what my office is working on, and I'm working on your crummy policy governor <laughs> this is this is what he's uh, this is what he's saying um 
And and by the way, that story he told of the veteran that was like kicked out of the school parking lot, that is true. That did happen. Uh, I forget where it happened. It was in North Carolina. But yeah, there was like this old veteran guy is watching his grandkid play soccer and he's sitting in his car watching the field and he's told he has to leave. Like this is how stupid it is. But this is, it gets back to what I said earlier about the hysteria, right, about this anxiety driven. It's almost a psychosis at this point for some people. They, they, they can't think clearly. How do you see somebody sitting in a car watching a soccer game and think, I got to get rid of that person? That person can't be sitting. They, they can't be sitting in that car. They can't be looking at this game. They could be spreading COVID way over there. Like, really? Wait, why? Why would you even bother to go over? You've actually you've actually incurred greater risk walking over to the car to tell the guy to leave. <laughs> Than just letting him sit there and watch his grandson. And honestly, I don't want to be morbid or anything here, but like, honestly, how many more opportunities does this guy have to see this happen? You're telling a guy, a World War II veteran, not to experience the last days of his life or the, you know, the the winter of his years, if you will, right? Like, you're telling him, no, 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 World War II veteran who survived, you survived World War II, but uh, you need to sit, you need to leave the grounds because you can't sit in your car watching your grandson play soccer. <laughs> and I will say, I was kind of disappointed to hear that he did leave. He did listen to them and he left. Um, I was kind of disappointed. Now, if you're disappointed in your real estate agent, uh, don't be disappointed anymore. Just get Rowena Patton and she'll get your house sold quickly and for more money. This is what she and her all-star powerhouse team do. By the way, if you are a teacher, and by the way, there are a lot of teachers that are still working and are working even harder now. And I want to give credit to them. I know I bash the unions a lot. Uh, but I was informed uh, by a family member that I love very much that uh, that I was, uh, you know, I may be sending sort of a, a, a constant one signal <laughs> on this. So I look, some of my some of my favorite family members are teachers. That's true. They all are actually they're they're all my family members and I love them all and they're and they're teachers. So I do recognize that a lot of teachers are working very hard and. Rowena Patton recognizes that as well. That's why she's a part of the Homes for Heroes program. It's a national program that gives buyers and sellers 25% back from the realtor commissions. And this is open for teachers, educators. It's also open for firefighters and police officers, military folks, veterans, active duty and retirees, as well as healthcare professionals. Keep more of your own money. Use Rowena Patton to buy or sell your home. 333-4483 is her phone number. The website is mountainhomehunt.com. That's 333-4483. Call Rowena Patton today and then start packing. So after uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson makes those remarks, well, hang on, before I play this audio, (laughs) there is, because the state auditor, Beth Wood, a Democrat, she did not appreciate what Mark Robinson had to say. Uh, But I want to, well... Yeah. So before I play her audio, let me read to you the sentence that starts the story at WTVD. I think this is out of Durham television station. Here's their opening sentence about what happened. Quote, North Carolina's Council of State meetings are designed for different agencies to exchange information and vote on some decisions. I love this. Like, (laughs) you're talking to me like I'm a like I'm a four year old. Uh, Oh, is that what the Council of State is supposed to exchange information and vote on some decisions? So in other words, what every elected body is supposed to do. 
right? <laughs> so thanks for that. But um, they, you know, such as the sale of government property. Okay. But on Tuesday, drama played out over the fight to reopen schools. This assumes, by the way, the the auditor's premise, Beth Wood's premise. It assumes that what she said is correct, that the meetings are designed for different agencies to exchange information and vote on some decisions, right? That this is only what it's supposed to be about. This was her argument. She makes this argument, as you'll hear right now. Governor. Thank you, sir. Yes. In honor of Wood, I just want to say that this roundtable is supposed to be used for talking about things that's going on in our office that otherwise we wouldn't be able to hear from each other. But I'm not going to sit anymore and listen to political speeches and denigrating our governor, not anymore. So <laughs> I'm saying we're going to get back on track and talk about what our offices are doing, keep the political speeches out of it, or we need to stop this. This is this is no place for political speech. No place. Thank you, Governor. Right. So nope. this is no place for political speeches. A gathering of the state's top 10 elected politicians is no place <laughs> for political speeches. By the way, she had no objection whatsoever when the attorney general was talking about how fantastic of a job the governor has been doing in all of this. She had no objection when uh, when she herself was praising the governor, when everybody's praising the governor and the governor is touting his own pandemic response. Right. All of this stuff is totally fine, you see? No, 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 that's not political. No, that's just informing people of, you know, what's going on in their agency, in their departments. They're just exchanging information about how great Roy Cooper is. That's all. Now, if you have a different opinion, you just better shut up with that opinion. You don't get to attack the precious. You don't get to, you don't get to criticize any of these decisions. And if you do, well... I don't think we should have these meetings any longer. If you're going to if you're going to keep on attacking my friend for the decisions that he's claiming credit for right now and wants praise for and you disagree with them and you want to criticize them, well, I don't think then we, that we should even be talking. That's what she's saying. And that's the premise that WTVD goes with. Because the purpose of the board or the council of state meeting is not simply to, you know, uh exchange information and vote on some decisions. As I said, you could say that you could offer that description of literally every single governing body. What Beth Wood was talking about was the very end when they do sort of a good of the order, you know, where or uh, uh, commissioners reports. I've seen it called at county commission meetings where they go around the table and they say, here's what's happening in my district. And here's what's happening in my district. And uh, or the good of the order. Here's some really cool thing that some students at, you know, Calendar Elementary School. Oh, who am I kidding? I would have been canceled. They'd have taken my name off the school building if it ever even got up there. But they're like, oh, the 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 student at Abraham Lincoln. Oh, don't call it that. Uh, at George Washington High. Okay, never mind. So at a school, and today's trait is courage or something. And then they did do this whole uh, you know report about how the little kids did this great presentation, and I went there and they did the presentation for me, and it was so great. And everybody goes, oh. And then you waste like an hour at the end of the meeting. Meeting, listening to all of this stuff while you're waiting for the meeting to end so you can go up and ask the commissioners questions about like the really important stuff that happened at the meeting. Now, you can't ever say that the good of the order 
and the commissioner reports. You can never say that these things are kind of pointless <laughs> and a waste of time because that's oh, how dare you? You don't want to hear the good news. You're just like everybody else. You're the problem, Pete. You're what's wrong. You just want to hear the bad stuff. I'm trying to give you the good information at the end of the meeting and, you know, waste everybody's time. So stop playing politics, says the auditor. Cooper ignored Robinson's comments um, and then uh, went on during the meeting. He says, these are challenging times. We have difficult issues to address. We all need to work together. And then he went on to tout uh, all of uh, the uh, the praise that he has received for his pandemic response from uh, the Kaiser Foundation that was like, you're doing such a great job of vaccinating North Carolinians in a racially proportionate way. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like North Carolina is being celebrated for the fact that they're administering the doses in a way that is uh, proportionate to the racial breakdown in the state, which is which is kind of weird because like the most at risk population is the old people. So you would think whoever the old people are, you get the needle into them as fast as possible. Right. They should be the first wave of that. But it's all about equity. Everything's racialized now. So. We're going to have to, uh, you know, we're going to have to ask your your uh, your racial and, and they do. They ask racial and ethnic data of people and they collect it all and then they report it all and they got an award for it. And so he was praising himself for that. That's allowed. See, good of the order. No criticism from anybody else. No one attacks the precious. What else? Um, Cooper expanded the COVID vaccine eligibility to all North Carolina's frontline workers. Uh, this was group three. All of the other folks that were in that group with the teachers before the teachers got leapfrogged ahead. Um, oh, including him. Yes. Governor Cooper is going to be getting his vaccine today. <laughs> he is. And I think I saw one news outlet say that they're going to be doing live coverage of it. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why somebody needs to see live coverage of the governor getting a, a shot, but okay, I guess. Um, so yeah, I, I think we're. I mean, well, I mean, really, he needs to have the shot. It's kind of like in a starving communist country, the leader needs to eat all the food because he has to stay strong in order to continue leading so effectively, right? Speaking of effective, if you have found that the tools you have are not effective in completing the job you're trying to do, then you need the right tool. Having the right tool to do a job, it means all the difference. It really does. It makes all the difference. Trust me, I did an entire house, a 900 square foot house crown molding, and I did not have a chop saw. I didn't have a miter saw. I had a hand, just a handheld little saw, and uh, I was trying to make all these cuts, and it took forever, and I messed up a lot. Although I did, uh, I did come to appreciate caulk <laughs> and the <laughs> the many uses of caulk uh, and the value of caulk. Uh, but if you get the right tool for the job, then you're going to be set. And that's a general equipment rental in Weaverville. They're at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. They are family owned and operated, have been for three generations. They're also your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. So spring is coming. If you're thinking about getting some new tools, some power equipment, uh, chainsaws, trimmers, hedge clippers, mowers, tillers, generators, they got you covered. Buying or renting, okay? Head on over to generalrents.com. That's their website, generalrents.com. 
com or go on into the store and uh, they're gonna they they're experts at this stuff right they're the official licensed sales and service provider so they know all of these uh, tools they know how they work and they know year to year changes that were made in the models and such and what is the best tool for a particular job they can help direct you on all that and if you're renting equipment from them they're going to show you how it works okay so go to general equipment rental tell them that you heard it here on the show generalrents.com general equipment rental in weaverville and think outside your toolbox so group three uh, now is allowed to go get the vaccines this includes restaurant staff grocery workers law enforcement farm workers postal service employees ton of others uh, child care staff and k-12 through teachers are also part of group three but they got you know bumped ahead by a week uh, certain members of group four which covers adults at greater risk of virus exposure and severe symptoms they become eligible on march 24th according to Cooper's announcement and his briefing yesterday. Uh, and again, I'm not playing any of the audio because it's basically a press release. And I got it. I am now of the opinion that um, the governor sends out the credentials or the access codes or whatever for the press conferences, and they tell the reporters what the topic is going to be. Like, Governor Cooper is going to make an announcement about this, like phase three or uh, group three, something like that, because. Every single reporter just asks essentially the same kinds of questions about whatever the topic is that Governor Cooper wants to talk about. Not a single reporter at that briefing asked about the veto override. Isn't that amazing? Not a single question about the veto override. Here you had a Democratic state lawmaker say that the governor told him to flip his vote. And not a single reporter thinks to ask the governor, hey, did you tell Senator Lowe to change his vote? What was that conversation like? What'd you tell him? Did you promise him anything? But see, nobody approaches the governor like that. Everybody in the media, in the press corps, they treat these briefings as the time for them to get sound bites to plug into a story that's largely written by a press release issued by the governor. And uh, they don't want to jeopardize that access. I understand that. They don't want to, by asking a difficult question, they're not going to be able to get back in to ask any questions uh, in the future. So, they're not trying to be combative and they see themselves a lot of reporters in the media they see themselves as uh relayers of critical information to their audience in a situation like this they're going to the government and they're like please tell us what do we need to do here's a question chad adams has been asking chad adams a talk show guy down in wilmington he's been asking this question now for months and nobody has ever thought to ask this in any of these briefings which is when does the pandemic end like what's the criteria for declaring it to be over does the governor know this seriously that's a fair question because if the governor is not going to lift restrictions and you know say that the whole thing is over until what there's zero cases is that is that what we're shooting for here zero hospitalizations or zero deaths or 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 is it 10 or is it a hundred is it a thousand like what's the number of all the speculative types of questions that the media asks that have zero value they never think to ask this one i wonder why that is states public schools see large enrollment declines yeah this is a Wow, no, really, kind of a headline. <laughs> it's a Carolina Journal. This is a good piece by David Bass. 
Um, he says public school systems in the Tar Heel State are experiencing the highest declines in student enrollment in decades since the pandemic arrived in North Carolina last month. Uh, or last March, rather, student enrollment in public schools has declined 4.4%. That is nearly 63,000 students. And for context, that's about the size of the third largest school district, Guilford County, which, by the way, great idea to give a comparison like that. Kudos to David Bass. It's a great comparison. But when you say 63,000 students, what does that mean? How many kids is that? Like, that's a large number. People have a hard time understanding large numbers. So you make it relatable. It's like, okay, so think of like the entire school system of Guilford County just leaving. He concludes, again, this is the Carolina Journal, uh, the pandemic appears to have only accelerated that migration to alternative options. Today, almost 15,000 students are on the Opportunity Scholarship Program. That is a 16% increase from last year. A high enough volume of parents sought to register their homeschools over the summer that the surge in the website traffic crashed the state website. These were parents trying to set up homeschooling over the summer, and it crashed the state website. Meanwhile, lawmakers in the General Assembly have filed a series of bills that would exempt counties they represent from some or all of Governor Roy Cooper's COVID restrictions. These are local bills. They only apply to a small number of counties each. And unlike statewide legislation, if it's a local bill, it does not require the governor's signature to become law. This is going to be a big fight. Should it pass, this first bill that they're running, 166, House Bill 166, uh, current executive orders related to the coronavirus pandemic would cease to be valid after two days in these jurisdictions. This House bill is the first legislative measure of the current session that would try to rein in the governor's powers under the Emergency Management Act. That's also from the Carolina Journal. And that is a wrap for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. And remember, go to thepetecalendarshow.com. You'll, uh, you can click the link there to subscribe and also become a patron. I appreciate the support. We'll talk with you later. Don't break anything while I'm gone. 